is the nature of the human being to have desire not always in harmony with what God wants for us. It's also the nature of the human being with the presence of God, the life of God in us, like Jesus had and like we have, to be able to not be subject to those desires. What is desire? What is temptation? What part does God do in transforming us so we don't sin? And what responsibility do we have? Hello, this is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries Podcast. Today we start a new seven-part series. Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, will address these questions and more as he takes us through a biblical view of desire and how we should deal with it. Here is Tori teaching at Caravan Fellowship in Part 1 of Dealing with Desire. I'm going to do a little bit of review. So I want to remind us, I'll start with the reminder of the English definition of the word desire. So a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. And that's just from some online dictionary that I looked up. But usually I look them up in multiple ones and try to find something that's, you know, kind of shared between them all. So that's the concept of desire. And obviously it's a lot more complex than that. But that's the basic understanding from an English perspective. We talked last time a little bit on the influences of desire. The influences of desire, oftentimes we make it more simple than it really is. And part of what I want to talk through today is to understand sort of the complexities involved and we'll get into why I think that's important here in a moment. But realize that social influence is one of the, one of the things and probably one of the earliest and most pervasive influences on our desires. There's the physical aspect of desires. And there's also experience and habit. And this is oftentimes, by the way, where addiction comes from, is experience and habit. And we'll later, not today, but we'll get into actually how addiction works in our body. Our opinions and our value system, so all of these feed and become closer and closer to the direct effect on our desires. So these all have an effect, but as you go down that arrow, they have a more direct effect on our desires. Okay? To understand really how desire and temptation work together, I think that we need to, you know, kind of take a look at a biblical perspective on desire. So let's let's turn to James 1, 14 and 15. And if somebody would read that for me. Oh, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on that. Let's just wait just a minute. I'll come back to that. I want to talk about the temptation first. I want to give some definitions here, and then we'll come to James, okay? So temptation, if you look it up in the English library for the English word temptation, it's a desire to do something, which is not a very helpful word, but you can see it's connected to desire. Well, the interesting thing is if you take the Greek word that's used every time in the New Testament that's translated as temptation, sometimes it's translated as trial, if you take that Greek word and you look up what it actually meant when they wrote that word in the Bible, you have Thayer here and Strong's. You can see that basically it has an idea that we don't consider often when we think of temptation. Do you think of temptation as being an experiment, an attempt, a trial, or a proving? Because that's what the Greek word meant. And 
a putting to proof by experiment is Strong's definition of that word. An experience or solicitation, discipline or pro provocation. By implication, it's adversity or temptation. So the idea, the biblical idea of temptation is not just simply a desire to do something, but it actually has the concept of a proving. It's viewed, by the way, as an opportunity for that. That's why James, for example, says, consider it all joy when you encounter various temptations. That word is used there. When Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, when he was teaching the disciples to pray, he had them pray, lead us not into temptation. Same word that, that James used. This is the idea here. I want to talk just briefly again, this difference between desire and temptation. So desire is an aspiration for something, something you aspire to have, to be, to, this is a desire. And that's why, by the way, sometimes we think of intentions as desires. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? We think of intentions as desires. And it's really the aspiration. By the way, we use that word kind of loosely. We have that saying that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Well, what does that mean? Yeah. It means we understand that that concept of intention is really not the carrying out, not the decision to actually do it, but it the aspiring to it, but maybe without any action behind it. So it's really an aspiration, not so much an intention. That's what more of a desire, a desire to do something, and it could be a good thing, right? That's what we think of as the intention of which the road to hell is paved with. It's an impulse, too. So, so sometimes it's not something you aspire to, but it's just an impulse that you have. It comes from the inside, and it's present. For some of these things, it seems ever-present. Whereas if you look at temptation, temptation isn't just an aspiring to something or an impulse. It's, it's an aspiration or an impulse that is wrong. That's what makes it a temptation. If you aspire to love your neighbor, that's not a temptation. It might be a trial, <laughs> but it's not a temptation. Temptation is always being faced with, it's always having to do with what is wrong. It always involves an external source. It's not just internal. It's not entirely external. It can be closely connected to a desire. A desire to do something is a temptation. But the reason I say that it involves an external source is because it's a situation with the opportunity to do that wrong. Desire does not need opportunity. It can always be there without opportunity. Temptation comes through opportunity. Desire is not self-limiting, by the way. Do you know what I mean by that? Self-limiting? If you allow desire to go where it wants, <laughs> if we can ascribe it a will, you know, kind of make this as if it were human, desire would never be satisfied. In other words, having what you desire does not necessarily make the desire any less. It often makes it more. It's not self-limiting. In other words, you will have to apply something else to limit your desires. The limitation of desire has to come from somewhere other than the desire itself. Temptation reveals desire. That's the connection 
that temptation has. Temptation is a revelation of desire that is wrong. This definition is an opportunity to test your character by providing opportunity to fulfill wrong desires. It's not the desire that brings the test, it's the opportunity. That's why Jesus said that we should pray not to be led into temptation. That's why James says, God does not tempt anybody, but we are tempted when certain things occur. And those certain things, we'll, we'll get into that here in just a minute, in the, the more detail. But the, tempta the connection to this definition is that temptation is a proving of something. And that something will be our character, and we'll talk more about that. But the tension is the opportunity to carry out wrong desires. That's what temptation is. That's why it's approving. Now, for example, think about Job. Do you remember the story is, and it's a true story, that Satan came to God and God said, Hey, have you noticed my servant Job? You remember that? This conversation goes on. And what did God say? He said, Look at that guy. What a dude. This guy has got it going. And Satan said, well, yeah, it's easy for him. You will not allow me to touch the man. Do you remember that? And God said, okay, you're on. You, as long as you don't kill him, you can touch him. That became the opportunity for Job. And you remember, many people, including his wife, said, curse God and die. He said, I ain't going to do it. It was the proof of his character. God did not bring it on, though, did he? He, he removed his wall of protection that Satan was complaining about. That's all he did. If you're proving a person's character, what does it prove if they have no opportunity for wrong? It proves they're innocent. It doesn't prove they're virtuous. Okay? So if you do not put wrong as an option, you do not have temptation, you do not have approving of a person's character. Okay? That's the biblical concept of temptation. It's why God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place so that man can be virtuous before God and not just innocent. So... The question being, if in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus was teaching his disciples, when he said to pray, lead us not into temptation, that is asking God to not allow to opportunities that will test us. The question was asked, was that God's will? Well, that's a good question, but let me ask you this. Was it God's will that Satan not touch Job? It was at the time when Satan complained about it, was it not? Maybe God was answering Job's prayers. You see that? By the way, think about this for a minute. You remember when Jesus was in the garden and he asked his friends to come with him? A few of them came, came with him. And he said to them, what? Wake up and watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. I think he was telling them to pray what he had taught them to pray. And why, by the way? We're going to talk more about it, but why did, what did he tell them? Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. This is a concept that we often miss 
in our evangelical teachings about how to deal with desire. Oh, man, I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't, I can't go there yet. But your appetite, though. We're going to talk about the body on another day. But here's the thing. The typical view of, of the body it falls into two camps. One, the body itself is evil. All evil is contained in the body, specifically in the blood, which is completely, in my opinion, not biblical at all. Or the other view is that the, once we become a believer, that we automatically are not subject to our body any longer. And we're free from it. And these are the people that you might say are, are like you know, sinless perfection or whatever that might put them in that box, in that camp, which their view of it is probably a lot more subtle than that, and they, they don't believe in sinless perfection necessarily. But those are the two camps, general perspective. And I think neither one of them are completely accurate. Both of them have some reality to them, and if we can understand that correctly, it's a lot more helpful in dealing with desire because our body has a lot to do with it. But Jesus understood that, and he told them, listen, guys, you have good intentions, and that, by the way, is the spirit, not the desire. You have good intentions. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. What part of it got up and ran out when the crowd showed up? It was their body that drove them out of the garden, if you sit with we'll, we'll get to that. So we'll come to that in a lot more detail. But I understand that, you know, these principles, first of all, in my opinion, are, are core to understanding how to deal with desire, number one. And number two, they're often brand new thoughts to us because we don't do a good job in the, in the Western evangelical tradition in explaining this kind of stuff. We simplify it in such a way that it becomes useless for actual use. Okay, so... I said this last time, temptation is not sin, desire is not sin. And I think some people misunderstood me. When I said desire is not sin, the presence of desire itself is not sin. However, that doesn't mean you can't desire things that are sinful. If you desire things that are sinful, guess what's going to happen? Opportunity is going to show up at your door and you will face temptation. And when you face temptation, what is that? That's a revelation of desires for things that are sinful. The desire itself is not sinful. The temptation for the desire itself is not sinful. If you had no desire for anything that was wrong, you would never have temptation. It's an impossible condition. None of us will never have a wrong desire. Even Jesus himself had wrong desires because he was tempted in every way that is common to man. Now, and let me just prove this for a second. I want to go into that in a little more detail. When Jesus prayed in the garden while his buddies were sleeping instead of praying, what did he pray? that the cup would pass from him. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Okay, what did that mean? I mean, we, these aren't just pretty words. What that meant is, first of all, for those who have trouble believing in the concept of a trinity, there were two specific wills. This is not one person. You don't have one person with two wills. This is two specific wills. Number two, what, ha what do you call it when your will is in contradiction to the will of God the Father. You call it a desire to do something that God does not want you to do. That does not make it sinful. That makes it a desire. It is the nature of the human being to have desire not always in harmony with what God wants for us. It's also the nature of the human being with 
the presence of God, the life of God in us, like Jesus had and like we have, to be able to not be subject to those desires. That's what temptation is, is to be faced with the opportunity to allow the desire to have its way, if you will, and to come through temptation without sin is to reject the evil desire and accept the will of God. That is what our goal is to understand how we can do that. But we need to understand that this is not sinful. And one of the reasons we need to understand that is because so many believers are so full of guilt and shame because of their desires that they give up the battle before it has been lost. Do you understand that? An evil des desire itself is not sinful. To have a desire to do anything that is not in God's will, that it, it could be, in, in some case, to, well, I'll give you an example in my own. My wife might ask me, do you want to do such and such? My answer is no. However, that's my desire. That's, I have no desire to do that. In fact, I have a desire to not do that. However, I see you have a desire for me to do that. And so I'm going to choose to ignore my desire and choose your desire over mine. Okay? Now, that's a fairly innocuous thing, and we can think of that. But let me tell you, let me just speak really plainly. Men, you will have a desire for sex. When that opportunity comes to, to lust or fulfill that desire with a woman that you are not married to, that is an evil desire. It is not sinful to have that desire. It's sinful to seek or to take the opportunity. And this is what, we'll talk about it more when we get to James here. James said, when lust comes in, it conceives. What does it conceive? When lust is conceived, it brings about sin. Okay? And, and that temptation is what the opportunity, and unfortunately, in our world, we have way more opportunity for lust than, than previously existed. I mean, there was plenty before. Don't get me wrong. I don't want us to give up the battle before it's lost. In other words, oh, I have this desire. I may as well give in to it because I'm such a worm or whatever. No. Desire is not sinful. It's not lost because you have a desire. I had a man, by the way, tell me specifically, you know what? I expect God to remove all evil desire. That's what I think salvation is. So I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and as soon as God removes my desires, I'll quit sinning. That is incorrect. That is not biblical teaching. All right. The desire itself is not sinful. The carrying out of that evil desire is what is sinful. Or the intent to carry it out is sinful. By the way, do you remember in Romans 7, Paul said, I wouldn't have known what coveting is except the law said, do, do not covet. Do you know what that word is? That is exactly the same word as the word Jesus used where he said, if you look on a woman lusting, it's the exact same word. They used the same words there. Paul was admitting the fact that he struggled with lust at the point that he was talking about. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look upon a woman with lust, or as, as some translations, if you look upon a woman to lust, then you are guilty, right? So the question is, 
When does it become lust? When does it become sinful? There is an aspect of intent that is required with sin. There is an aspect of intent that is required with sin. Let's turn to James. We were there, 1, 14 and 15. So I think to understand how it all works together, let's take a look at this passage. Now this is not the only passage on it, but it is certainly a definitive passage on this process. Somebody read it for us. James 1, 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Okay. So he's drawn away and enticed, which, by the way, you know what that word is? That, that is trap. That is the concept of what happens when an animal goes in a live trap or some type of a trap. He's enticed and caught. There's a concept of being drawn away and trapped by a bait. Okay, so what happens is you have desire, you have temptation that comes in. That's the situation that allows that desire to come to the surface. You have a preoccupation that is setting your heart on that desire. That is what lust is. Now, I don't care whether you're talking about robbing a bank or whether you're talking about a sexual desire. When you set your heart on that, your heart is what? Your will, your spirit. It's your basic bent of intention. You get enticed, but you get caught by the bait when you set your heart on it. And that leads to sin. It's this act of setting your heart on it that is the sinful result. If we can understand what it means to set your heart on something, we can understand how to come through temptation without sin. That's the secret, if you want to call it a secret. That's the concept that if we can get our mind around that, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to enact that in the midst of temptation. The question was asked, so where do we interrupt that trajectory? This is really kind of the same thing. I just kind of wanted to point that out, that there's this idea, the compromising situation is the same as temptation. But right at that point, and actually, here's the thing. A strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen, it's at this point that we find out that it's very, very difficult, virtually impossible, not always impossible, virtually impossible to affect a feeling directly at the time that you're having it. Have you ever tried to do that? You ever try to affect a feeling at the time you're, you're actually having that feeling? Stop feeling that way. I mean, shoot, Naomi wakes up. She's had a bad dream in which I've done something wrong. She wakes up and realizes, oh, it was just a dream. It's not real. Tori didn't do that. He's laying here sleeping. She still wants to strangle me. <laughs> okay, she doesn't want to strangle me. She, but she still has those emotions that she knows in her mind. She's like, I should stop feeling angry. You can, it's virtually impossible, not always impossible, but virtually impossible to change your feeling at the time. So in order to stop this process right here at the point of temptation, it takes preparation. It takes 
us being prepared to deal with desire that becomes revealed when the opportunity for sin is presented to us. That's what Jesus was instructing his disciples to do. He knew the temptation way. He wanted them to prepare themselves. What? Their bodies as is part of it in that particular case. He wanted them to prepare themselves to deal with that. So the point that it's interrupted is here, but it, at, the, at temptation. But the way that you have the resources available to interrupt that temptation is to be prepared ahead of time so that when you're in the game, you have the capacity to execute on the game plan. I don't mean to make light of temptation by calling it a game, but to use the analogy of when is the time to be prepared to win in a contest. And this is what Paul talked about in, in 1 Corinthians. I don't beat the air as if I have nothing to do. I, you know, every person that competes in the games does what? They, they train themselves to do it. So what does he do? I train my body. I discipline my body. I buffet my body. Some translations say di discipline. Some say buffet. And I make it my slave. That's part of the preparation. So the answer at the time of temptation is when we break that cycle. But it's really to be able to break that cycle, we allow God the opportunity to prepare us in advance, just like Jesus was trying to do with the disciples. If we recognize that temptation is a revelation of an evil desire, we deal with desire. And we can deal with desire ahead of time so that when it and, and we can begin to learn how to deal with desire. That's why I'm calling it this. At the time that temptation comes up, the temptation is simply a revelation. It's a proving of our character. It's a revelation that we have a desire that is not in keeping with the will of God. And if we know how to deal with desire, and we've prepared ourselves to deal with desire, and more specifically to deal with that desire, when it comes up, we will be prepared to break it up there. But understand... Understand, my earlier point is this point here of the compromising situation of the temptation that provides that opportunity that reveals your desire. If you give up the battle right there, you've already lost, right? And how, I don't know if you've done this. I've done this. I've, I've said, oh, well, I already show that I'm a sinful whatever because I believed that desire or temptation was sin. And I was deceived by the enemy who said, you might as well give in to it, you're already guilty. That's not true. You might as well not give in to it because you are not guilty and you have the opportunity that has been provided by God, in, as it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10.13, a way out of, temp a way through temptation. Now let's pray that we don't experience temptation. That's good. Jesus taught us to do that. But let's also pray that he will prepare us to take the way through the temptation to come out without sin as Jesus did. Thanks for listening in today. Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. 
And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.